to our chat. It's season one, episode six, and today we're talking about healing. Welcome back, everyone. It's uh, Trisha Wright here from Aurora Cornerstone, and we have Pastor Wayne here with us. Today we have an interesting topic, healing, and I think it's a hot topic for many of us because so many of us are connected to people who are either unwell or believing for healing, and it's either happened or it hasn't. I know I've had a few personal stories where on one hand, my sister, we were believing for her healing and it, ha- it didn't happen. She still had to undergo the surgery. And on the other hand, one of my sons just had a nosebleed and he was so an ongoing. It was a, I don't want to say a chronic problem, but it, it happened frequently enough where it was a problem. And one day he just got up and he was like, I'm tired of this. And we're like, well, pray and let's ask God to take it away. And he's never had a nosebleed since. So I know that um, while that might seem small in terms of the scope of um, other things that people are praying for healing for, I know that the topic of healing itself is always a hot button topic. And you've been reading some uh, some books on healing. So I think that's what sort of um, inspired this talk. So... Yeah, you know, there's there's all kinds of material out there because it is a hot button topic, and uh, yeah, I I so I in thinking about okay, what would I advise regarding some of the books? Um, I don't advise everything that has the word healing or miracles mm-hmm. in it because it really is a huge spectrum of teaching and thought regarding healing, and sometimes, boy, if you get uh, that wide spectrum and you are digesting it, it can cause probably more confusion than anything here here are one of the first books i got a hold of was by dr peter wagner the late dr peter wagner called how to have a healing ministry without making your church sick and i mean a really long title but in that he was talking of maybe more of the charismatic movement he's coming from a presbyterian background and so many times we come in with these dogmatic approaches because we saw something, we watched something, we read something, or somebody told us something. We try to just slide it into our story or our situation. We try to force that into maybe the church context that we're in. And it just creates bedlam in the church and a lot of um, tension and and bad feelings. And so um, anyway, that was an interesting one. That was from a few years ago. Dr. Michael Brown has a book called Israel's Divine Healer, and it basically is going through the book of Psalms, 150 chapters, and a number of the Psalms talks about um, God the healer, and it does a bit of a synoptic of the Psalms um, regarding healing. Andrew Murray, a great uh, writer and uh, prayer warrior of yesteryear, wrote a book called Divine Healing. It's a small book, but it's just right to the point. Uh, in an age in which sickness was rampant, pandemics were rampant in his day. Father Francis McNutt, uh, good old Catholic priest, wrote a book called Healing. It's one of the better ones. It's uh, forwarded, by, it was forwarded by John Wimber. Um, and if I'm not mistaken, I think both have gone to be with the Lord. But he did a great uh, exposition of healing uh, that's really worth the read. And the most recent one, and it's really what kind of stirred this discussion today was by Glenn Barteau and he has a book called Why Am I Not Healed? And interesting uh, this book, I'm just going to mention this because what grabbed me in this book I'm I'm just picking up a book right here I saw this in a bookstore uh, a couple of months ago in uh, in London, Ontario and it said, this is is on the back cover 
it said in the parking lot outside his church, now Glenn's a pastor of a church down in California, in the parking lot outside his church, soon after writing this book, he suffered cardiac arrest and died. Following the lack of oxygen and trauma to his body from the repeated electric shocks that revived him, his chance of survival was extremely slim. Five days, his family and friends refused the devastating prognosis and prayed the way he had taught them to pray. And so it's interesting because in this book, this book is actually written not even quite a year ago. It went to the publishers in November 2019. He, days after it went to the publishers, him and his wife were going to their church for Monday night prayer. And they were the only ones in the parking lot. They got there early. They had stepped into the building. They came back to their car to drive to another part of the parking lot. And he'd gone about a minute ahead of time. Uh, they got in the car. She got in the car. And he had his head leaning against the headrest in the driver's side. Um, peacefully looked like he was just taking a little, you know, shut eye. And she said, come on, let's get going. And and he didn't move. And she said, come on, quit teasing. And I guess he's a tease. And <laughs> Anyway, she finally, well, if I, if I get out and I, if I have to go around to your side, and so she did, went around to his side, he didn't move, didn't anything. And finally, she began to think, something's wrong here. In that time, another car pulled up into the parking lot. The second car there parked beside them. I guess this is a massive parking lot. Parked beside them. And it's a lady in the church who's a nurse, and she is in the cardiac unit, and her job is for crisis patients. Wow. And she immediately tried to get his pulse. There was no... No pulse. They, she dragged him out of a car, um, laid him on the ground on, in the parking lot, and she performed um, CPR for 10 minutes. The paramedics arrived. For 40 minutes, they would perform CPR. They tried to, every time they were ready to transport him, he would, he, he would just flatline. I think it was seven or eight times they had to put the paddles to his chest because there was no heartbeat whatsoever. They make it clear that he didn't take a heart attack because apparently with heart attacks, blood still flows in the arteries that allows it to and the heart still is moving. A cardiac arrest, the heart is dead stopped. No blood is flowing. Okay, so there's a difference I didn't realize. And he took a cardiac arrest, got to the hospital 40 minutes later, and uh, anyway, the surgeons, everything... They said he had less than a 1% chance to recover. His organs had been shut down too long. His brain had been deprived of oxygen too long. On and on and on and on. And because of the all of that, he had body breakdown. So his kidneys had shut down. This had shut down. Like body begins, you know, the click, 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 breakdown. When your heart stops and blood doesn't flow and oxygen doesn't flow. So in all of that, that's the story. Wow. And here's the interesting. I mean, if that's not interesting... <laughs> Um, his, he has a chapter where his wife talks about what she went through and what she believed and what the process was for her. His two daughters and son, each one of them would give a little blurb. Then he gave a blurb. You know, you hear people having this out-of-body experience when you die and all that. And he, him, not so much. He doesn't really remember. He remembers kind of waking up days later. But one thing he does remember he remembers being in a very dark room, and it was like the hospital room. It was very dark. There was movement in the room. And the only light was that there was a bit of light. There was light coming from underneath the door. But he remembers very distinctly there was a lot of noise outside the door, like 
a riot. It was voices. Mm-hmm. It was like a riot. That's all he remembers in those mm-hmm. multiple days. Movement in the room, very dark, light under the door, but from there, there was voices. And he knew that he knew that an army of prayer warriors had risen up. And it was literally tens of thousands of people. But an army of prayer warriors around the world had risen up. And in his church, they were 724. They were staying around the clock praying. And in other churches, and just family and friends and people who knew them. And... And he remembers the sound. He said it sounded like a riot. And it was the voices that were standing and praying for healing. Anyway, very interesting. um, That It's an interesting read. So that book is called Why Am I Not Healed by Glenn Bartos, forwarded by John Bevere. Um, So yeah, uh, there's an interesting read. Yeah, that one sounds like it's interesting. They all do. Um, I would be interesting to read the one from the Catholic priest as well, just to get his perspective. And you said that's one of the better ones. It is very good. It's actually, um, I was just reviewing it again recently, and and it's it's I would say it's one of the flagship books out there regarding healing. He operated with the gift of healing, and uh, and this is from a church that really believes suffering is of the Lord. So he is standing in some direct contrast to that. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's quite a good read. Well, there's a lot of opinion and sometimes even division about um, the topic of healing. So tell us some thoughts about why you think that might be the case. Uh, there is. <laughs> and um, I've certainly experienced uh, my fair share of it. Uh, I guess unless you have been personally healed, and healing and miracles, you know, they're part of God's divine intervention. But unless you've been personally healed, and you mentioned your story regarding mm. Noah, and I had a story when I was five years old uh, with uh, uh, multiple fractures on an arm that I had broken, uh, told it would never straighten again. But I had, five years old, heard that God answers prayer. The only thing I remember about praying at this point in my life, I remember going, be- we had a big chair in one of the main rooms of the houses, the house that we lived in. And it was like a lazy boy, but they didn't have a lazy boy back then. And so I would slip in behind that chair because I guess I really needed to be hidden and you know nobody see me. I remember going behind that chair. I remember praying. I do not remember any more about that, except that three days later, I woke from a night's sleep and my arm was perfectly straight, perfectly well. I'd been to the doctors, had x-rays, been told it would never straight because it was multiple fractures. So it would have to heal fractured. Um, I would get used out of my arm, but it would never be straight again. Wow. And I would never be able to be a good baseball player. Mm-hmm. I would never have a good throw. <laughs> and because I could never straighten my arm right. on a good throw. That's what I was told. And yet I was supernaturally healed. Wow. Um, and yet there have been since then many times in praying that I have you know, prayed for you know, terminal sicknesses and not seen what I was hoping to see at that point in time. Here's one of the things I think is so important when we talk about maybe healing is we want to take the life of Jesus and try to figure it out. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Synoptic Gospels, to go and to take our time in watching how Jesus interacted because Jesus was the answer to the curse. Mm -hmm. And sickness is a part of the curse. Mm -hmm. Healing is really a broad term because there's healing physically, but it's appropriate. There's healing spiritually. We are born in spiritual sickness. 
So the curse is upon all of us. So we, every one of us, need healing spiritually. We need to be healed um, in our soul, um, emotional healing. Uh, and so healing is not just physical body. And here's, here's why that's so important, is that Jesus never separated them. We do, but he didn't. Jesus, you watch Jesus preach, and when he preached, there was heal. He, he would sometimes come and heal, and then he would preach. Other times he was preaching, then he would heal. It was never this, then that. It was always, they, they went in tandem together. So he preached salvation by doing healing. Mm-hmm. By doing healing, he preached salvation. And so it flowed. There was this natural flow. Every time Jesus met evil, whether spiritual or physical, whatever that evil was, physical, the body, the sickness, the lepers, the blind, he treated it as a curse. He treated it. There's an enemy behind that. Right. When he would come across people, they could be the Pharisees, they could be the sinners, they could be the lost. He treated that as an enemy, not the person, but the spirit behind that, what was causing it. And so it's really interesting that uh, many times we have maybe separated that and we like healing is healing for the body, but really anything that has brought the curse of death physically, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, whatever, um, Jesus period came to heal suffering humanity. And that's why when we read throughout the gospels and the early church, actually in the book of Acts and the rest, you would read over and over. It says they preached the gospel and healed the sick. Mm-hmm. It always like, you never finish the sentence by they just preached the gospel. Mm-hmm. You never finish the sentence with just they healed the sick. The sick. It was typically they preached the gospel and healed the sick. It was a package. Mm-hmm. And because the package was the curse of evil was upon mankind spiritually and physically. And you just step into it in the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Um... It's interesting because I've never thought of it in that way that the sick, like the healing that we read about is for both the spiritual and the physical. Yeah. So it's interesting. Um, so if it's God's will to heal the sick, then why aren't we seeing more and more of that when people are not healed? Yeah. What, what, what are they to understand or to accept from that? And, and there's 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 the fun part of this whole thing. This is where the discussions you say get fun. People yeah, are like frustrated yeah, yeah, by yeah. this. <laughs> fun as in dysfunctional. Um, yeah, uh, because this is where we get into a lot of our dialogues yeah. and a lot of really um, um, heated maybe debates. Uh, again, it's always it's always easier to argue from the point of having experienced something. Hmm. If only you ever read about it and heard about it, but never experienced it, your arguments tend to get a little weak. And so there's nothing like, to me, I can't tell you how many times I circled back to when I was five years old and God healed me. And I know that he know, and the doctor verified it. He spoke of it. I know that I know. I can't be talked out of that. So there was an experience, but to put the theology around it became a lifetime. And it is a lifetime. It's still a lifetime. Uh, So if God has the power to help everyone, yet he refuses to do so, (laughs) it raises questions. Mm -hmm. It raises, one question is, does God really care? I mean, let's use an illustration. If I have the power to help a friend of mine, 
and I choose not to do it, he would have legitimate reason to say, I don't care for him. Mm -hmm. If I could have done something, I chose not to. So this is a big one where, well, God's God. And if God is God, and if he is God of healing and all power, and that person's not healed or I'm not healed, Mm -hmm. then God doesn't really care. What kind of a God is that? And that's huge, huge. Uh, uh, If God cares but lets people remain in their suffering, then another option is, well, maybe maybe he can't heal. Maybe he doesn't heal. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things we call cessationism is it's a movement, and there are entire denominations out of this movement that believe the miracles, many of the miracles and divine healing stopped at the book of Revelation. So it stopped in the early church. So it was meant to get the church rolling, but... It was not meant to be in continual use following. But you don't have to be a deep theologian reading through the New Testament to read over and over and over again. There is no indication that healing stopped when Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, You see it in the early church, and there was no indication, nothing written saying, you know, this is for a time and it's going to cease. Uh, healing was meant to be continued until our bodies are made perfect. Right. Uh, so that challenge, well, maybe God's not powerful enough. You know, maybe there's a lack of his ability to heal. And that's, there's another question. I think sometimes we have to grapple with that question because even though we would as Christians say, oh no, that's not my issue. But if we have backed away from praying for healing, we've got to have a reason why we backed away. Do we back away because um, we don't believe he cares? We back away because we don't believe he will. He wills to do it. So here becomes the the thing we sometimes uh, do is we just say, um, Lord, if it's your will, would you heal? But that's um, not as clear as it may look. It's not as righteous as it sounds. Because he has asked us to know his will. He's asked us to walk in the authority of his will. So if every time a problem comes around, we just say, well, Lord, whatever your will is, do it. It's a Mm cop-out. It's a cop-out for us to not having examined his will. It's like me me asking you to do something. Mm -hmm. And I was specific. Hey, you go to my place and here's the key. You can open the door. And then you turn around and say, well, what do you want me to use to open the door? And I say, well, I've already given you instructions. It's He's given us instructions. We need to take the time to listen to the instructions. And then we don't keep asking them. It's time, that's where faith comes in. We just follow the instructions. And so when we simply pray, Lord, if, if it's your will, it's a bit of a cop-out without knowing what his will is. If his will is that he desires to heal then we need to exercise that without having to say, if it's will. The will is, by saying that, it's almost like our default, you know. If it doesn't work, we can just slip out of this particular deal. Um, Or it's one of those uh, Christianese things, phrases, that I like to say. It's just that, you know, it's the humble. It, like, makes us appear humble. Like, if this is, but, I mean, the prayer says, on earth as it is in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. And I'm going to suggest often when, like, I know if I use that, Chances are I'm not believing very much. Yeah. Um, and some of that comes out of a theology that God is sovereign and he's going to do what he's going to do and it doesn't really matter what I ask for. Problem with that 
is that takes out the free will of my prayer. Why bother praying then? Right. Because he does align himself with our prayers. Yeah. He is sovereign, yes. But he has chosen to partner with us in prayer. We are called priests, and so we are to present these things. He's asked us to do that, and so prayer becomes so important. We see Jesus praying, and him saying, I only do what I see my Father do. And he would talk about how important prayer was to every part of his journey. I guess the other part, too, is um, if God does not ordinarily answer prayer, but only wants us to accept and endure suffering, there's another one. Mm. So he just, he wants me to endure suffering. Then we are grappling with another question. Is God good? Mm -hmm. Right? Is God, that's huge. Is God good? What is the good news? Uh, and when you think about it, you go back and do history search. A lot of benevolent uh, care today, such as Red Cross, uh, World Vision, hospitals. Mm -hmm. Hospitals came out of, uh, ages ago, out of fundamental Christian beliefs. It was Christians who started the hospitals. And the purpose of a hospital is to care for the sick and that they would get well. Well, if we believe that suffering is of God, why have hospitals? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, like, like just suffer. Right. You know, like you got pain in your gut and you're bleeding out. Well, just don't go to the hospital. God's trying to teach you something. Right. But no, we have hospitals. And, and here's a bit of a dilemma that sometimes we as believers who adhere to this give spiritual advice saying, well, listen, you need to accept your, your, your suffering. It's God's will. While at the same time, our doctors and our nurses are trying to save somebody's life. Sometimes they're doing more work than we are because we've adopted a false idea. And so, um, and, and this, is, this is a big problem in Latin America. So I've been down to Latin America, and here's the problem in Latin America. When disaster, typically, the belief system of many, when disaster or sickness strikes, many people there believe it's God's will. And if, to, if you want to regain health, because it's God's will that you need to suffer to learn something. In other words, there's something bad, and God is punishing you. It's his will. You need to suffer. But they don't want to suffer. So what do they do? They go to witch doctors, and they ask the witch doctors to give them some sort of a remedy in order that they might the, the, the problem might be reversed. The people treat God as if he were a pagan deity, appeased somehow through their suffering, for healing, they have to go to the world of demon spirits. And I guess here's the point. We desperately need to return back to the vision of what God's plan was. And it's through Christ. And that is that he's tender, he's loving, he's compassionate. He raises us up, makes us whole, and he desires to cast down all the works of the enemy. So if we're not careful, we ascribe something to God that's not his. And then we turn to psychics and the demon world and the dark world in order to find answers. And that's exactly the way the enemy of our soul wants us to do it. Okay. Instead of knowing God is fundamentally good and he desires wholeness spiritually and physically. Mm -hmm. And we got to be careful when we begin to try to orchestrate our theology around that. Right. It's like us taking the driver's seat. Yeah. To stay out of the driver's seat. <laughs> um, the Bible talks a lot about faith and especially faith as it pertains to healing. So what kind of faith do you say this is? Yeah. Um, and it's really cool because when you read, Jesus would many times talk of different levels of faith. 
So when you say faith, there's not just like one size meets all. There are many different sides. He would talk of little faith. He would talk of increasing faith, the faith of a mustard seed. He would talk of great faith. He would refer to a woman saying, I haven't seen anyone in Israel with faith like this. So he's talking of different sizes of faith. Um, faith needed is faith in God, not to be confused with faith in faith. Some of our, in the faith movement, we are putting more faith in faith. So faith, 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 talk about faith, faith, faith. Um, you say it this way, you do it this way, you follow step one, step two, step three. What we're doing, if we're not careful, is we have faith in faith. But faith in faith won't heal us. Faith, we have to have faith in God. So it's the source of our faith. So what does faith in God look like? Well, faith in God looks like that we have faith in his faithfulness. Is God faithful? We have to grow in that. We have to have faith in his promises. What did he emphatically say? And we've got to put our faith in what he said. You know, Jesus would say, it is written. We've got to put our faith there. We've got to put our faith in his wisdom. How many times Jesus would say, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. He's about to disclose something wise. Put our faith in what he just said. Jesus would many times say, um, I tell you the truth. That was another expression of his. And, well, everything he said was true. But what he's saying is, you put your faith in what he has just identified. Put your faith in that. We need to put our faith in his power. Jesus calms the waters. Jesus, uh, uh, the raging storms. Jesus can speak into the wind. Jesus has control not over nature, but uh, the cosmic. And we have to put our faith in his power, and we need to put our faith in his goodness. He is good. He's a good God. And so here's the point. If we put faith in faith, and here's... When I look at the New Testament and I try to do step one, step two, step three, step four in order to get a healing or put my faith in that, you can't find that because almost every time Jesus performed miracles and specifically healings, he did it differently. Sometimes he spit, had mud. Other times people could see instantly, they could only see partially. Sometimes they had to go down to the water. Sometimes he would touch them. Other times he would speak it. Sometimes he would send it through a person. There were so many different ways. The apostles, sometimes it went through an apron. Um, sometimes it, was, it came through the faith of different people, the person being prayed for, the person praying for them. It comes through so many different ways. And the reason is, is because he never wanted us to put faith in faith. Right. He needs us to put faith in him. And therefore, he's going to do it. It's not up to us to figure the way he's going to do it. But we put our faith in, again, I come back to that, that he is faithful. He's a promiser. He is wise. He's powerful and he is good. And, and we have to put our faith in that. And, and so the, the difference between healing faith and the virtue of faith. The virtue of faith is um, what we just talked about. Faith in his faithfulness and promise and wisdom and stuff. Then there's 1 Corinthians 12, and it's the gift of faith. And I guess the big difference with the gift of faith, so the virtue of faith means all believers can pray with faith and God can heal. 
Uh, that's available to every believer. Uh, the virtue of faith. And the, what's the faith? The faith is based on who Jesus is. Right. That's the virtue. Uh, but there is, spoken of in 1 Corinthians 12, a gift of faith. And the gift of faith is, uh, it's, it's a gift. It's not, not everybody has that equally because it's given to some, it says. And I guess one of the deciding factors, the gift of faith has to be connected to some other spiritual gifts. For instance, the gift of faith is frequently connected to the gift of knowledge. So we call it a word of knowledge. So a person often with the gift of faith will have an indication. And out of an indication, they will have a confidence an assurance of something that somebody without the gift of faith just won't have. We ask, but we really don't feel anything. We ask because God is faithful, he is good, he is true. We ask based on that. But we may not have more than that. A person with the gift of faith often will have an indication. They can sometimes see something. They sometimes are given a picture of something. They have this, and, and the word really is uh, confidence. Another word is they have an audacity that there's a boldness comes out. Yeah. Now, again, I, there's a scripture and I couldn't find it. I was looking for it recently. In the book of Psalms, it talks about the sin of assumption or the sin of presumption. Mm. We can't simply presume God's like a genie. We rub it and he's got to do what we ask. And sometimes when we get bold and overconfident, we can get cocky and we're saying things that God really never said. Mm -hmm. But we think if we say it, he will have to do it. That's called presumption. Mm -hmm. A gift of faith isn't presuming. A gift of faith has a direct, definite prodding. And it's prodded by the Holy Spirit of a confidence of something taking place. And so therefore they can call somebody out of a crowd. They can say, I, I see that this is happening. And, and they really can. There's something that for that moment they can see. So again, I mention that because there's a difference between the virtue of faith, which we all have, and the gift of faith that some have. And, and then faith needed for healing uh, can be through many different sources. It can be, uh, so um, let's, you mentioned about your son. If your son was having nosebleed, he might come and say, would you pray for me? I'm going to ask Jesus to heal me. Then initially, he had faith. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe he didn't do that. Maybe mom was saying, hey, you know, I really believe Jesus wants to heal you. We know that Jesus does heal. Why don't we just pray and ask Jesus to heal you? Mom initiated the faith. And then sometimes we don't see anybody's faith. This is weird. Um, so kind of the story, there was a story in the New Testament, and there's multiple stories where uh, there was a funeral procession and Jesus just felt sorry for the mother. Mm -hmm. So the mother never asked for it. The dead body, it was her son. Obviously he didn't ask. He just had compassion. It's just out of the goodness of God, somebody mm -hmm. got healed. And so you're scratching your head going, well, whose faith was exercised here? Mm -hmm. Faith is always exercised, but we don't have a definite pin down point. So um, we see this with many faith healers. Um, you know, the writings of Smith Wigglesworth, Catherine Kuhlman, uh, those who have maybe been a part of a crusade of Benny Hinn, the late Oral Roberts, the late John Wimber, uh, Kenneth Hagin, some of these people, faith healers that were very prominent in the last maybe 100 years, uh, these people had a definite gifting of faith that there was a boldness and an audacity that came from it. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good. 
Wow. I just, I, the faith in faith versus the faith in God's goodness and his faithfulness. Um, yeah, this is good. <laughs> uh, okay. So you mentioned, you mentioned a few books at the start, the resources that you've been using for your own sort of study in this. Um, and you had said that one of them says that anyone who prays, who hopes to pray for the sick should be aware of three basic kinds of sickness. And yeah. that each of those require a different type of prayer. Yeah. And I mentioned that because, um, again, it's not every size fits all. Um, there's sickness of our spirit. Mm-hmm. We are all sick. And I mentioned this earlier. Um, unless Jesus quickens his Holy Spirit in us, gives us his Holy Spirit, we are lost in the trespasses of sin. And so we call that salvation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there's a sickness, a sickness of spirit. It's, it's my sin. Sin separates me from God. And so the remedy for that is repentance. Mm-hmm. We ask God, forgive me of my sin. Now, here's the thing. We just don't do it once in a lifetime. Um, I am a pastor frequently on a Sunday or in a, in a group meeting. I'll come to a place and say, maybe we just need to have a fresh surrender to God. Maybe we just need to repent of something. Maybe we just need to ask God's forgiveness in something where there has been sin because sin continues to be an issue all of our lives. So it's, yes, the initial repentance, the Holy Spirit comes, he lives inside. He doesn't leave us because we've sinned. He lives inside. There's a permanent dwelling. But having said that, the we have to recognize there's a sin sickness, and it's a sickness of our spirit. The second one is of our soul, and frequently it touches emotions. And, and we call this um, where we need inner healing. This is healing often around uh, a memory. It's a healing that there was a, a trauma, Maybe there was a lie. And of course, we here in the church, we've, we're part of Cleansing Stream Ministry. This is, we focus, Cleansing Stream Ministry primarily focuses in this area. Mm-hmm. But it's a healing ministry. It's a ministry dealing with uh, an area where the enemy has found a place and he's created um, a blockage. He's created um, symptoms of other things. And the symptoms can manifest physically. They can manifest spiritually. But they are symptoms that often are in the soul of the person. And so we, we, we pray for that. And, and part of the prayer for that is uh, it requires um, inner healing. And we, we have definite ways to do that uh, and praying for that. And then, there, of course, there's physical sickness. Um, that's our bodies by disease or by accident. And we pray specifically in Jesus' name. And we know the, the text in... Isaiah where he talks about that he prophesied there would come a Messiah and through his suffering and he would actually King James says by his stripes by his wounds we are healed and then Peter looking back at that event Jesus is resurrected he's in heaven Peter looking back and Peter he would say and and because of what he did we now have access to physical healing and I'm going to suggest there's probably a fourth element Um, the fourth one is demonic uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the dark world. And so there are demonic forces. And that and they can be through oppression, harassing spirits. And in situations like that, you just take authority over them. Uh, Jesus did that with Peter, where uh, uh, I rebuke Satan, who has just brought this utterance out. And, and so there was a spirit behind that. And so there's also that other element, which is, um, so there's spiritual, sin, emotional, the inner needs. There's physical, because of either an accident or a disease. 
but they're sometimes demonic. And, and it's important to get them straight because um, if it's demonic, then you, you speak to that spirit. Um, and that's often where discernment has to come into play. Yeah. How would you, I guess, how do you identify which of those sicknesses is at play in a situation? And that, and that is, and that often comes through discernment. Right. Yep. Discernment's huge. So that's often where the gift of discernment, because a person can have something physical and you can be praying over and over for the physical, but it's actually something that is emotional. Right. There's a, there's a, um, a tag in their spirit that they have accepted. If you would, a curse, it could be a, a generational, it could be a lie. And so they're living this lie. They're believing this lie and the lie can come through a fear. It can come through an issue of a control. So, if we don't get discernment on that, and discernment can be where we just get a prompting, we hear God's voice, we look to the word and something is said and it goes, hey, I think that's that person. Yeah. Or we just begin to, like a doctor, we go through a process of elimination. Right. So we, sometimes it's not just as, as quick and as simple as saying, well, let's just pray. Yeah. Sometimes it's asking questions about the person. And you will often see this at great miracle crusades where somebody comes up and they will often ask them two or three leading questions about what is it that took place. In that, they're trying to get a couple of things. They're trying to discern what's behind it. It is not necessary that we have to identify the source at every instance. Mm -hmm. But sometimes, if it is spiritual, sometimes we do. And... By asking the right questions, like a doctor asking you questions, well, what's the problem? Well, I hurt. Where do you hurt? I hurt in my stomach. Is it on one side or the other? Is it when you press it or not press it? Is it when you breathe or not breathe? And he will go through a number of eliminating questions to try to get a better diagnosis of it. And God has given us basic discernment to ask some of those questions because in that we can begin to sometimes realize, well, maybe this isn't so much physical. It might be maybe spiritual. It might be an inner healing. Uh, and if you deal with that, then the physical gets dealt with. Or sometimes, if you deal with the physical, once that is dealt with, all of a sudden there's like a domino effect spiritually. Right. So, um, yeah, so it's a discernment process. Yeah. Okay. So um, just have three questions now as we begin to wrap up. Some questions that, you know, you or I might hear people ask with regards to healing. So the first is, is it best to pray for healing in community? Yeah, um, that's... Uh, when I was a boy and I was, my arm was broken, um, I didn't, I wanted to just be by myself mm -hmm. and I wanted to be healed like behind the chair. Uh, and so the answer is, is it better to pray in community? The answer I would think most often is yes, uh, because there's power, you know, Matthew 18, Jesus said two or three come together in my name. There's power in that. And there's something about, uh, community of people praying together. Yeah. And you just think about it. It makes sense. Uh, if I'm in a group of people and we're praying, just by me hearing their prayers does something for my faith. Mm -hmm. I like the, the idea of the prayer of agreement. And, and I, I think this is probably, and, and Matthew 18 talks about this, that so when somebody's praying, so let's say, Pastor Trish, you're praying, and you're praying for a particular physical healing. And we do that at our staff meeting. So we take somebody in particular, and we're praying for that particular need. Say it's physical. When you're done prayer, what is prayer of agreement is that while you're praying out loud, we're not thinking about what we're going to pray. 
you have to fight that temptation because how many of us are thinking, oh, you know, my turn's coming. What am I going to break? Yeah. What we've just done is we've not come into agreement with that person who is praying. And so many times you hear while we're praying in Pentecostal circles, charismatic, you often hear one person's leading out loud and you hear other people going, yes, Lord, amen, let it be, make it so. Well, those are appropriate, mm-hmm. not just to say them, but to, to believe that. So what you're doing is you're very, you have to work hard to concentrate on that person who is leading in prayer. And there's times when people are praying, I, I don't say anything mm-hmm. because I'm not sure if I agree with where they just went with that particular right. prayer. Now, you know, don't be paranoid. Next time That's you don't like, hear uh, me. Yeah. The next time you. Uh, <laughs> scratch that. Yeah. Yeah. Or me. Oops. <laughs> that must be doctrinally wrong. The pastor's not agreeing with that one. Um, and, but I've worked hard. Because I've seen the power of, of, of unified agreeing. Right. And so if you're praying, come into agreement with that prayer. Just, yes, Lord. And you don't have to be overbearing. You don't have to be nauseous. You just have to be agreeing. Yeah. And then it's cool. When that person finishes, you might you might agree with it. You don't always have to say you. Mm-hmm. I had this one lady in my church, and, and, and she was a prayer warrior. But she almost always, after one person prays, she said, I come into agreement with that. And, and then she would take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. And it was powerful. I don't know if you have to do that all the time. Just by you affirming it means you are agreeing. Right. But then when you pray, maybe don't just pray for something totally different. Stay with it. And we call that praying through. Mm-hmm. And frequently this is where prayers fail because we we throw up a prayer. We use those phrases, throw up a prayer. I had somebody send back a note to me. Hey, Pastor, I'm going to throw up a prayer for you. I don't really like that yeah. saying because to <laughs> me that's, yeah, I hear that on TV, right? I don't really yeah. believe it. Um, maybe the person is, but I would rather you just pray for me. Right. I'm still throwing one up. It's, it's almost like you're throwing it up and you hope it gets hit. Right. Um, so when we pray in unison, we come into agreement and I agree with your prayer and then I add something to that. So, um, and, and then another person might add to it. By the time you're done that one request, you could have maybe three or four or five different things around that person mm-hmm. and we call that praying through. You've kind of, you've drained it. You've, mm-hmm. You've really prayed everything that comes to your mind and heart about that. And then there's kind of like, now I'm ready to move on to the next one. Yeah. So uh, there's, community does that. And that just really helps to have a community yeah. of prayer. So um, yeah, I think that praying in community is helpful. The exception would be if a person is, remember we were talking about praying for um, emotions, yeah. the inner memories and stuff like that. Um, and sometimes even praying for deliverance if it's if there's a demonic, some sort of harassment. They might not be best served in a large community of prayer. Mm-hmm. They might be better served still in a community, but in a smaller, more strategic community mm-hmm. so that there is not division and there is clarity because often they will be clear with each other as they begin to uh, maneuver through that particular prayer. So... It can be a large community for many prayers, mm-hmm. but when it comes to inner healing or the demonic, sometimes it's better just to have a few mm-hmm. strategically in place, maybe with a bit of maturity and experience, who will begin to navigate through those areas because it is very complicated to that person because it's an inner healing, right. and that inner healing has many triggers, and in a big, large group setting, um, it tends not to be effective. Throw that off. Well, okay, so he um, pray as a community infers that you're local that you're there you're close so what about prayer from a distance like and prayer from a distance um especially for physical healing absolutely uh so it's appropriate to pray for our missionaries if we get a missionary in india who is sick 
gather together and pray. Um, location bears no change of God's power. Yeah. Uh, I'm not saying there's no distance. In there's prayer. no, there's no <laughs> distance. There really isn't. Yeah. And so God, because His Holy Spirit is present everywhere, right. and so um, that bears no factor in distance. Um, there is when it comes to praying again regarding demonic. Um, you pretty much need to be close. When it comes for often, again, prayer regarding soul issues, inner healing, stuff like that, usually it requires um, attention because what you're doing, you're not just praying, you are watching. And watching becomes, that's part of the discernment. You're watching to see what's happening. And you are basically, your spiritual senses are alive and you are asking Holy Spirit, show me what's going on here. Now, typically with physical healing, it's not so much. But when it comes to more the other healings, um, you're kind of watching the person. You're right. you're paying attention, and it's hard to do that if you're you know at a distance. Right. Um, okay. And you you touched on this one a bit earlier when you were talking about you know your Latin American how some of those while they're believing for healing that they still sort of dabble in other things. So now, what do you make of psychic healers? Yeah. Um, and I'm going to suggest there's a few forces at work. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that in healing, there's divine power. John 16, 23, ask for anything in Jesus' name. So that's through Jesus, and you will receive it. We know there's divine power. We know there's natural forces when it comes to healing. Uh, for instance, uh, it's been known that you can take orphans born with uh, in a situation where they don't have loving parents, loving guardians, and they grow up with just basically their diaper changed, their food placed in front of them, um, education, but nobody touches them, nobody cares for them, nobody loves them. And then you can, and there's been studies around that, and or orphans around people who whole held them, who looked after them, who sung songs to them, who touched them, who um, cared for them and spoke love into them. And they observed that there is the ones who had love uh, spoken and embraced into their life were healthier, they lived longer, they were. Uh, less psychological problems, more productive in society, and on and on and on. What's that? That's called natural healing. It's the healing of just natural love. And it comes from God, but indirectly. So it could be in a secular setting because love is, God is love. So if God pours his love, even through those who may be not followers of Jesus, but they're they're loving people. They care for people. They hold people. They nurture them. They speak words of, of, of good into people's life. Then there's natural benefits and blessings that flow out of that and and that's real and actually that can be monitored and i think that's worth saying but then there's also demonic forces and that's kind of what we're getting at and psychic healers um sometimes psychic healers there's benefit because they care for a person a person who has nobody in their life but they go to a psychic person and that person is touching them love care saying they're caring and all that kind of even if there's nothing else taking place the person can start to manifest some beneficial signs because there's natural benefits of somebody caring for you um interesting um but we also recognize through jesus name but we also recognize that satan can counterfeit he can counterfeit miracles we see it in scriptures where he counterfeits miracles and uh again discernment's required so just not the source is very very important remember faith needs to be faith in jesus christ not just faith in faith or faith in a method right 
No, I think that's really good. Um, and when we were talking about this earlier, you had mentioned something and that kind of stuck with me that I think it's in one of the books that you're reading. Like you you mentioned the fact that sometimes we want to pray when we're praying for healing for a, for a certain thing. Sometimes it's simply just so that we're not inconvenienced by yeah. it, right? It's true. And you know, that is, that's a big one. I'm glad you brought yeah. that up because sometimes we don't, we don't want the hassle of going to the doctor. Right. We don't want people to know we're sick. I had a, a minister friend of mine, a colleague, called him one day. How are you doing, Steve? And he says, oh, I'm hiding. And I go, why are you hiding? He says, well, I'm sick. And I go, well, that doesn't make sense. Why are you hiding? Because you're sick. Yeah. And, and it wasn't because of COVID. I mean, yeah. it was pre-COVID. And he says, I'm sick. He said, because I got people in my congregation that if they knew I was sick, they would be angry at me because I've got sin in my life or I don't have enough wow. faith. So he says, so I have to hide. He says, the funny thing is, is when they get sick, they just disappear from church for two weeks. And, and, you know, they can be dreadfully sick, but there they, they would never say they were sick because dare you ever say that you're sick. You actually don't actually say the obvious. And so in that, it's like, so people sometimes um, want healing because, well, it's convenient. They don't want anybody to know they're, that they have to go to a doctor. Mm -hmm. They have to go for treatment. They have to, you know, get radiation or whatever. Um, and there is a lot of that, I think. I know for myself. Mm -hmm. That's me many times. You know, God just take this away from me because it's a pain. Right. You know, I don't like the suffering. I don't like the pain. And, and there's good reason to pray that. Yeah. But sometimes I'm doing it because I'm asking him just to make my life easier. Yeah. Not necessarily because I really believe God does want to heal me. Cool. And I feel like sometimes, even if that is the case, if we go back to faith in God's faithfulness and his power, his word and his goodness, mm -hmm. sometimes those, that belief makes it easier to sort of endure those things. Well, this is good. It was another good one. I really enjoyed this. Um, can, so can yeah. I, there was, I was reading um, in, in one of the things about um, an artist. Right. And uh, so the story goes like this. Uh, and I really like this. Um, so a teacher in an art class uh, asked the students in front of their blank canvases right. to paint a picture of peace. To paint a picture of peace. And so the students went to work. I mean, how do you paint peace? How do you paint peace? So one was a calm water. The sea was calm. Another was the starry, the stars at night looked peaceful. Another had a picture of a little baby asleep in the arms of a mother. Peace, right? Yeah. They're trying to... Another was a picture at a beach, you know. And, and So you had these... A meadow. I think there was one of a meadow. and All these pictures of peace. But there was one painter who painted this uh, picture of, um, of a storm. Lightning was flashing down. The, the clouds were black with rage. The trees were bent over in the wind. The sea was smashing against the cliffs but in the cliffs was this nest and it was an eagle's nest mm. and an eagle sitting in the nest fast asleep and that was the picture of peace mm. and i was thinking that what a picture in the midst of life's curse on this world yeah. that healing our healer our prince of peace is not it's not meant to be lived out in in the uh in a world that has no conflict because while we're in this world, we're not of this world, right? This, this world is not of the Lord. It's, it's the, the sickness of sin is everywhere. Mm -hmm. But where Jesus is, it's like that ego that is absolutely 
founded and confident that nothing's going to happen. Even though the skies are raging, the seas are raging, everything's raging. It's a picture of Jesus in a boat mm-hmm. on a raging sea. And everything is crashing around them, but Jesus is absolutely peaceful. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking when it comes to healing, God help us to get to the place where we um, not simply looking for this utopia of tranquility and peace and, and comfort and, and feelings of, of no pain at any given time, but that in the midst of all of it, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of a sin-sick world, in the midst of all kinds of demonic oppression and what be it, that our lives are, are secure in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And he is our healer. And no matter what is taking place, we rest in him. Based on what we were talking about, based on his wisdom, based yeah. on his authority, based on you know all those things, that we rest in him. Mm-hmm. And to me, that was kind of a great picture. I really, really liked it where... Yeah. It's not a whole canvas of peace. Right. It's a canvas full of strife and storm and difficulty, but a picture of in the midst of it, you have peace. Yeah. I like that. That's good. That's good. Um, well, I think uh, what we will do is at the end of this, we're just going to list all the resources that you have mentioned. So we'll tag that on to the end. So if anyone wants to get reading any of those books, they surely can. And thank you for this talk. Thank- I always like when you're reading because then... And you're always reading because then we get so much good content and so much good teaching. So thank you so much. I think this will be a great help to others because we all have that person in our lives that's dealing with something or it might be us ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you for listening. If you'd like a list of these resources, feel free to email us at office at auroracornerstone.ca. Until next time, God bless.